Well, hello everybody, welcome back. So in the last few videos, we've seen a whole bunch of claims that the Bible makes about itself. And by now, it should be clear that this is not just another holy book of some religion amongst others. And it's certainly not just some good book with good advice or good morality. It is either all that it claims to be, which is the very words of God from beginning to end, or it is the greatest deception ever perpetrated against the human race, and we should gather up every copy and burn them. So, at some point you've got to ask the question, well, how do we know we can trust the Bible? Does it authenticate itself? You know, how do we know that it is what it claims to be? And it is to that question that we're going to turn our attention now. And we're going to spend two videos on this matter. In this first video, we're going to look at Jesus' view of the Scriptures and the Apostles' view of the Scriptures. Then in the next video, we'll look at the actual manuscript evidence. You know, how do we know that the copies that we have today do accurately reflect what was written 2,000 years ago? Then the fourth issue we'll look at is some archaeological evidence that corroborates the histories of the Bible. And then the fifth one is we're going to look at fulfilled prophecy and how that is an amazing confirmation of the inspiration of the scriptures. And then I'm going to finish off with a little discussion at the end um, about the need for the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to understand and receive the scriptures. Despite all this evidence, we still need the Holy Spirit to open our hearts. Okay, so that's where we're going in this video and the next. But before we begin, because I can't cover everything in these two videos, this is a vast topic, I want to recommend a couple of books to you. Um, especially if the reliability of scripture is something that you particularly wrestle with, something that troubles you. Um, so first, a very simply written book uh, by a guy called Greg Gilbert. Um, this is in the Nine Marks series of books. It's called Why Trust the Bible. Excellent little book. And then slightly more scholarly, but still excellent, a book by Michael Kruger called Canon Revisited. If you want your mind completely settled on this matter, please do make the effort and go and get those books and read them. But in these two videos, we're going to dip our toes in this water a little bit. And we're going to start with what Greg Gilbert actually focuses his whole book on, which is this, Jesus' view of the Bible. Now, if you're trying to get to grips with whether the Bible is trustworthy or not, why is it important to understand Jesus' view of the Bible? Uh, why does the opinion of a man who lived 2,000 years ago tell us so much about the reliability of the Bible today? Why is his opinion important anyway? Well, here's why. Because we have an unprecedented level of historical certainty that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead 2,000 years ago. Now, you can go and do your homework into this and you will find it to be true. We are as historically certain of the resurrection as we are of any event of ancient history. And one of the amazing things about the resurrection is that Jesus predicted it in advance. In Mark chapter 10, we read the following. Now, this was just a few days before he was betrayed. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, that's how Jesus used to refer to himself, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, 
and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. This is an astonishing fact. He predicted his own death and resurrection. But it doesn't stop there. In other places in the Gospels, we see that Jesus believed that his death and resurrection were not just a a bare fact. He believed that they were part of a great plan of God, which in fact the, the Jewish prophets had been predicting for thousands of years. In other words, he believed that his death and resurrection had meaning or significance. Listen to what he said after he had risen to those two disciples who were walking along the road to Emmaus who who did not understand who he was. So he concealed who he was. They didn't know it was him. And he appeared to, to them in another form somehow. And listen to how he explained to them the meaning of it all. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Jesus was saying, if you guys knew the Old Testament properly, you would know that the Messiah had to suffer. That's what the prophets have been predicting. And that after he suffered, he will then need to ascend into heaven and enter into his glory. You people were expecting a Messiah to come and conquer the Romans and reestablish a powerful Jewish kingdom in this world. But my kingdom is not of this world. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory, he says to them. And then listen to how he explains it all to them. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He says to them, you guys should have known that the Messiah had to suffer these things. But I tell you what, pull out your Old Testament. Let me show you. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he showed the things concerning himself. I mean, what a Bible study that would have been. <laughs> the point I'm making here is that Jesus used the Bible to explain his life, his death, and his resurrection when he could have used anything else. He could have done a whole bunch of miracles to prove that he could tell them the truth. He could have just used some direct divine power to explain everything to these two disciples. They would have believed him on his own authority anyway if he'd revealed who he was. They would have just believed whatever he said. He could have switched himself on and off like a light bulb if he wanted to. But he didn't. Instead of all that, he concealed who he was so that they wouldn't be distracted. And he took them to the scriptures. Jesus explained the meaning of his death and resurrection to his disciples using the scriptures. So to Jesus, the Bible is the source of all truth in life. It is the thing we must stand on to give us wisdom and understanding. And it is the way to gain understanding into the key and central moment of all human history, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if Jesus had not have risen from the dead, then he wouldn't be worth listening to. He would be no better than any other religious leader 
like many of them who have claimed great things for themselves, but have ended up, just like the rest of us, rotting in the grave. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, his whole ministry would have been discredited because he said that he would. He claimed to have power over sin and death. And so the fact that he did rise from the dead changes everything. And I would suggest to you that if you have any interest in surviving your own death, that you take a moment to pause and consider what Jesus said about the Bible. He's worth listening to. Okay, that is why this is an important discussion. So let's look at Jesus' view of Scripture, and we're going to look at five things that he clearly believed. Firstly, according to Jesus, Scripture is God's Word. Now, I've listed a whole bunch of scriptures for you in your workbook, and obviously we don't have time to go through all of them, but what I'll do is I'll just pick out one or two that catch my eye as we're going through the list. So, Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 10, that's the account of Jesus' encounter with the devil in the wilderness when he was tempted, and the devil comes to him with three different temptations, and how does Jesus defeat him? How does, what is Jesus standing on to resist temptation? In other words, what is Jesus claiming to have full authority and truth? Well, he answers each time it is written and he quotes a scripture. So to Jesus, the scriptures are what one must base one's life on and, and one's morality and one's decision making. Um, that the scriptures are true and authoritative. And when you say it is written, that settles it. So uh, another one, Mark chapter 7. Um, Jesus having an argument with the Pharisees and they're saying... You know, you don't, you guys don't do the things that, the, that our tradition tells you to do, like washing and all sorts of things you have to do before you eat. And Jesus is rebuking them for laying aside the commandment of God for the sake of their tradition. So he says, you lay aside the commandment of God, talking about what? That we should honor our mother and our father. Now, who said we should honor our mother and father? Who wrote that? Moses wrote that, right? That's written in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, for example, we find the Ten Commandments. Moses wrote that, but Jesus says, you're not laying aside the commandment of Moses. He says, you're laying aside the commandment of God. So, to Jesus, the law of Moses is the commandment of God. In other words, the Old Testament is God's word. Right, second thing Jesus believed about Scripture. According to Jesus, Scripture is historically accurate. So um, I'm going to list a whole bunch of things for you now that Jesus speaks of as if they were real historical events. He did not treat the Old Testament like it was full of myths and legends and parables and, and, uh, and, and allegories and stories just to teach us. These are not Aesop's fables, okay? These are historical events. So he speaks of, first of all, creation. I mean, these are the most controversial 10 chapters in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 to 10, when Jesus spoke of creation, he spoke of it as historical. He believed in Adam and Eve. When God made them in the beginning, he says he made them male and female. Jesus speaks of Noah. 
I mean, this is one of the things that people attack today. Oh, how could there have been this huge boat with all the animals in it? Well, listen, we might not have all the answers. And many Christians have actually posited actually quite good explanations of how that could have happened. But you know what? Jesus believed it. That's enough for me. He believed that Noah and the whole, the destruction of the earth and the flood and the preserving of Noah was a historical event. Jesus believed in Abraham. Jesus believed in circumcision, that, that right that was given to the fathers and then carried into the nation of Israel. He believed in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. He believed in uh, the existence of Lot, that's Abraham's nephew, and Lot's wife who turned to a pillar of salt. Jesus believed in um, Abraham's children, Isaac, and then Isaac's son, Jacob, the historicity of the of that original family which became Israel. Jesus believed in Moses. Jesus believed in manna, that God had fed the Israelites with manna in the desert. Jesus believed in David and the whole historicity of the Davidic kingdom. David's son Solomon. Jesus spoke of Solomon. He spoke of the original temple. Jesus spoke of the prophets Elisha and Elijah, as if they were historical figures. Listen to this one. Jesus spoke about Jonah, and he accepted the account of Jonah and that great fish that swallowed Jonah as an historical event. I mean, that's another one that people laugh at. Oh, well, how could a fish eat a man and a man live inside a fish for three days? Well, God did it. That's all I can tell you. And Jesus believed it. Uh, Jesus believed in Zechariah. That's the final prophet in the Old Testament to have been martyred. And, uh, and then Jesus obviously believed in all the prophets. He spoke of the prophets all the time. So, I mean, that's a really quick survey. You can check all the scriptural references I've given you that Jesus accepted the Old Testament as a historically accurate document. Thirdly, according to Jesus, scripture is authoritative and infallible. I mean, that's one of the big claims we've seen the Bible makes about itself. And Jesus accepted that claim. Let's look at Matthew chapter five. Jesus said this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and then we've seen one of our previous videos in John chapter 10. Jesus makes that amazing statement that the scriptures cannot be broken. So um, it was Roger Nicole who said the following. Jesus Christ himself provides a most arresting example in this respect. At the very threshold of his public ministry, our Lord, in his dramatic victory over Satan's threefold onslaught, rested his whole defense on the authority of three passages of Scripture. He quoted the Old Testament in support of his teachings to the crowds. He quoted it in his discussions with antagonistic Jews. He quoted it in answer to questions both captious and sincere. He quoted it in instructing the disciples who would have readily accepted his teaching on his own authority. He referred to it in his prayers when alone in the presence of his father. He quoted it on the cross when his sufferings could easily have drawn his attention elsewhere. 
He quoted it in his resurrection glory when any limitation, real or alleged, of the days of his flesh was clearly superseded. Whatever may be the differences between the pictures of Jesus drawn by the four Gospels, they certainly agree in their representation of our Lord's attitude toward the Old Testament, one of constant use and unquestioning endorsement of its authority. Then fourth, according to Jesus, Scripture is the source of true morality and the source of all spiritual truth. So think of John chapter 5. Um, in those verses, Jesus is having another encounter with the Pharisees. And he says to them that unless they come to see that the Old Testament accurately, truthfully spoke about him, unless they see that, they could not have life. Then in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount, of course, Jesus used the Old Testament laws to draw out a full-orbed morality for life. He, he accurately interpreted the spirit of the Old Testament law when it had been misinterpreted by the Jews. So he says to them, um, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you have hatred towards someone in your heart, that is like murder. He says, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you so much as look at a woman to lust after her, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. So he draws out the true righteousness of God from the Old Testament laws. You know, how can we genuinely know for certain what is right and wrong in life? That's a question I ask my children constantly. You know, whenever we have some kind of confrontation and they want to do something that I don't think they should be allowed to do, or I, I'm wanting them to do something that they don't want to do, and they've got all their attitudes and my friends this and I think that, I always ask them, what do you base your beliefs on? How do you know what you are saying to me is right and true? Where do you get your opinion from? Are you just getting it from popular culture? Are you getting it because that's what your friends think? Because my son, my daughter, when I tell you what I believe, I am basing my beliefs of what is right and wrong on the rock of Scripture. And I ask them, what are you basing your beliefs on? So the Old Testament, according to Jesus, was and is still today, if it's spiritually understood, it is a rock-solid basis upon which to define what is right and wrong. And obviously, we're in the fortunate position that we now have the New Testament as well, which helps explain and unpack much of this morality. And then think about those words of Jesus in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He prays for us. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. It is the source of all truth, says Jesus. And then fifthly, according to Jesus, Scripture consists of both the Old and the New Testaments. Now that might surprise you because the New Testament had not been written in the time of Jesus. Well, the Old Testament, I mean, that's pretty easy to show. Jesus believed in Moses. He talked about the prophets. He talked about the Psalms and he constantly quoted the Old Testament. So clearly the Old Testament in all of its major groupings, Moses, prophets and the Psalms that covers the whole Old Testament is scripture according to Jesus. But let's think about the New Testament. 
in Matthew 28, we've got that great commission and he tells the disciples that they've got to go and teach everyone to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. Okay, now how do the disciples go and teach everyone and how do, today do we still have that apostolic testimony to what Jesus commanded? Well, in John chapter 14, verses 25-26 and John chapter 16, you see Jesus actually pre-authenticate the New Testament before it was even written. He spoke to his disciples about how the, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and enable them to remember everything that he had said and done and that it would enable them to understand it because at this point they still didn't understand everything and it was that that enabled them to then go and write the new testament so jesus actually predicted the inspiration of the new testament before it even happened he said to his disciples, for example, on the night that, uh, before he died, said, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will explain everything to you that you don't understand. And he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So this is how the apostles were able to write the scriptures. So in conclusion then, this is a quick little survey of Jesus' view of Scripture, but quite clearly Jesus believed that what Scripture says, God says. John Wenham summarizes the matter very well. Let's read this quote from him. It's been said with truth that the attempt to evade the evidence for our Lord's teaching on the God-givenness of Scripture is as futile as a mathematician's attempt to prove that it is theoretically possible to dodge an avalanche. He may satisfy himself that the trajectory of each boulder is calculable and that an agile man could step out of the way of any one of them. Critical ingenuity may satisfy itself that I can, one by one, find ways of disposing of many of Jesus' statements about the Old Testament. But these statements cannot reasonably be considered independently. They form together a great avalanche of cumulative evidence that cannot honestly be evaded. So if you want to deny that the Bible is God's inspired word, that it has authority over you, and that it will be opened at your judgment, that this is the standard by which you're going to be judged one day. If you want to deny all that, then just know this. You are willfully disagreeing with Jesus Christ, the only man ever to have risen from the dead. But if you accept the scriptures by faith, know this. No matter how foolish you are ever made to feel by scoffing friends or family members, you have chosen to take your stand with Jesus Christ. And that, my friend, is the safest, most glorious, most enduring place in the universe. Okay, so we've looked at the testimony of Jesus about the scriptures. Let's now look at the testimony of the apostles. What did they believe about scripture? And of course, this is important because the church was built upon the testimony of the apostles. So their view of scripture is significant 
Because Jesus is building his church on the foundation of what the apostles taught. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Now therefore you, speaking to the Gentiles, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Okay? And that means they've been built on the teachings of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay, so what did the apostles believe about Scripture? Well, the first thing to say about this is that the, the apostles were Jewish men who believed that everything they had experienced and witnessed with Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. Okay, that is why they constantly quoted the Old Testament in their writings as authoritative. Listen to what Peter says in Acts chapter 3, preaching to the crowd. Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things, now listen, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. He's speaking about the Old Testament. And Peter couldn't be any plainer when he says in his, in his letter, a prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so clearly both uh, Paul in his writings, Paul constantly quotes the Old Testament. Go read the book of Romans, how he's always talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about um, Abraham and Abraham's children and circumcision and what we learn from the fathers. And um, clearly Paul and Peter in the verses we've just read had a very high regard for the Old Testament. But what about the New Testament, which was being written in their own day? Well, here's an interesting fact. The apostles authenticated each other's writings as being scripture. Did you know that? For example, okay, now just bear in mind that the two people who contributed most to the New Testament are Luke and Paul. Together they wrote about 60% of the New Testament. Firstly, Peter accepted Paul's writings as scripture. And Paul wrote about a third of the New Testament. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. He says, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also to the rest of the scriptures. So there you have Peter putting Paul's letters on the same level as the Old Testament scriptures. In the same way, Paul accepted Luke's gospel as scripture. Uh, people have often not, not noticed this one. Um, and Luke wrote a third of the New Testament as well. Let's read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Paul says this, Let the elders who rule well... Be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, why must the church do that? For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, that's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 25. 
and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now that last phrase is not found in the Old Testament, but it is found and word for word in Luke chapter 10 verse 7. So here we have Paul, he's quoting Deuteronomy and he's also quoting Luke's gospel and he's calling them both graphe. That's the Greek word he uses, which always means scripture in the New Testament. So this is an amazing thing that they actually corroborated the inspiration of each other's writings. Um, and then as a summary statement, I love this quote by Greg Gilbert from his book, um, Why Trust the Bible? Because he speaks about how the apostles not only were claiming that they were saying the truth, but they were willing to die for it. Listen to what he says. Nobody dies for a fiction and nobody dies for a hoax. If your goal in writing something was simply to write a novel or to perpetrate a deception, you don't stick to the story once the jig is up and your head is about to come off. The only way you stick to the story under those circumstances is if you really believe that what you wrote actually happened. And that's exactly what we have in the people who wrote the New Testament. Even as they wrote and taught, they knew that they could be killed for what they were saying. And yet, through all the threats and all the promises, even up to the moment of their own deaths, they kept on saying it. Slice it however you like. These guys were not writing fiction and they were not lying. They believed what they wrote. And they wanted us to believe it too. Okay, good. So we have discussed in this video Jesus' view of the scriptures and the apostles' view of the scriptures. In our next session, we're still going to be talking about the trustworthiness of the Bible, but we're going to be turning our attention to the reliability of the manuscripts themselves, because these things were written thousands of years ago. How do we know that we can trust the copies we've got today? Then we're going to talk about um, some archaeological evidence of the histories of the Bible. And then lastly, how fulfilled prophecy confirms the inspiration of Scripture. And all of that makes for a fascinating discussion. I look forward to it with you and I'll see you then.